0: Section 86 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 6 De Profundis ad Altum. Gilliatt had at his disposal, in the reserve of the rigging of the boat, a tolerably large tarpaulin, provided with long lashings at its four corners. He took this tarpaulin. "'fastened two corners of it by means of the lashings "'to the two rings of the chains of the smokestack "'on the side of the leak, and flung the tarpaulin overboard. "'The tarpaulin fell like a tablecloth "'between the little douvre and the bark, and sunk in the waves. "'The pressure of the water endeavoring to enter the hull "'forced it against the hull and upon the hull. "'The more the water pressed, the closer the tarpaulin clung.' It was glued by the water itself upon the fracture. The wound was dressed. This tarred canvas interposed between the interior of the hold and the billows without. Not another drop of water entered. The leak was covered, but not caulked. It was a respite. Gilliatt took the scoop and set to baling the paunch. It was high time to lighten it. This work warmed him up a little, but his fatigue was extreme. He was forced to admit to himself that he should not be able to finish, and that he should not succeed in bailing out the hold. Gilead had hardly eaten, and he had the humiliation of feeling himself exhausted. He gauged the progress of his work by the fall of the level of the water to his knees. This fall was slow. Moreover, the leak was only interrupted. The evil was palliated, not repaired. The tarpaulin, thrust into the fracture by the water, was beginning to form a tumor in the hull. It resembled a fist beneath that canvas, seeking to burst in. The canvas, being solid and well-tarred, resisted, but the swelling and the tension were augmenting, and it was not certain that the canvas would not give way, and the tumor might burst at any moment. The eruption of water would recommence in such a case as ships crews in distress are aware there is no other resource than stuffing rags are taken of every sort that comes to hand everything that is known in the technical language as service and as many as possible of them are thrust into the crevice of the tarpaulin tumor of this service gilead had none all the strips and oakum which he had stored up had either been employed in his work or dispersed by the gale. At the most he might have found a few remains by ransacking the rocks. The boat was sufficiently relieved to admit of his leaving it for a quarter of an hour, but how was such a search to be made without light? The darkness was complete. There was no longer any moon, nothing but the somber, starry heavens. Gilliatt had no dry rope wherewith to make a wick, no tallow to make a candle, no fire to light it. No lantern to screen it. All was confused and indistinct in the bark and on the reef. The water could be heard swashing against the wounded hull, but not even the hole was visible. It was with his hands that Gilliatt discovered the increasing tension of the tarpaulin. Impossible to prosecute, in such darkness, a faithful search for the bits of canvas and cordage scattered among the rocks. How was he to glean these fragments when he could not see clearly? Gilliatt gazed sadly at the night. All those stars, and no candle. The liquid mass within the bark having diminished, the pressure from without was increased. The swelling of the tarpaulin grew larger. It grew more and more distended. It was like an abscess ready to burst. The situation improved for a moment had again become threatening. A plug was absolutely necessary. Gilliatt had nothing but his clothes. He had placed them to dry, as it will be remembered, on the salient rocks of the little Douvre. He went and gathered them up and placed them on the rail of the paunch. He took his tarpaulin coat and kneeled in the water. He thrust it into the crevice, pressing back the swelling of the tarpaulin outwards and consequently emptying it. To the tarpaulin he added the sheepskin, to the sheepskin his woolen shirt, to his shirt his pea-jacket. Everything went the same way. He had on but one garment, he took this off, and with his trousers he enlarged and strengthened the plugging. The stopper was made and seemed to answer the purpose. This plug extended beyond the edge of the breech with the tarpaulin for its envelope, the water desirous of entering pressed against the obstacle spread it out usefully on the fracture and consolidated it it was a sort of exterior compress in the interior the center alone of the swelling having been thrust back there remained all around the breach of the crevice and of the plug a circular pad of the tarpaulin all the more adherent because the very inequalities of the fracture retained it the leak was stopped. But nothing could be more precarious. Those sharp projections of the fracture which fastened the tarpaulin might pierce it, and through those holes the water would enter again. Gilead would not even perceive it in the darkness. It was hardly probable that that plug would last until daylight. Gilead's anxiety assumed a different form, but he felt it increasingly at the same time that he felt his strength decreasing. He set to bailing the hold again, but his exhausted arms could hardly lift the scoop full of water. He was naked and shivering. Gilliatt felt the sinister approach of the end. One possible chance crossed his mind. Perhaps there was a sail in the offing. A fisherman who should happen to be passing through the Douvres waters might come to his assistance. The moment had arrived when an assistant was absolutely necessary. With a man and a lantern all might be saved. Two of them could easily bail out the hold. As soon as the bark was watertight and no longer overflooded, she would rise. She would regain her waterline. The crevice would be above the water. Repairs could be made. The plug could immediately be replaced by a section of planking, and the provisional apparatus placed on the fracture by definite repairs. If not, he must wait until daybreak. Wait all night fatal delay which might prove ruinous. Gilliatt was in a fever of haste. If, by chance, some ship's lantern was in sight, Gilliatt could make signals from the summit of the Douvres. The weather was calm, there was no wind, a man moving against the starry background of the sky stood a chance of being noticed. The captain of a ship, or even the skipper of a fishing boat, does not sail the waters of the Douvres by night without pointing his glass at the reef by way of precaution. Gilead hoped that he might be seen. He scaled the wreck, grasped the knotted rope, and ascended the Grand Douvre. Not a sail on the horizon, not a light. The water was deserted as far as he could see. No assistance was possible and no resistance possible. Gilead felt himself disarmed a thing which had not happened with him up to that moment. Dark fatality was now his master. He, with his boat, with the engine of the Durande, with all his labor, with all his success, with all his courage, he belonged to the Gulf. He had no longer any means of continuing the struggle. He became passive. How was he to prevent the tide coming, the water rising, the night continuing? that plug was his only reliance. Gilead had worn himself out and stripped himself to make it and complete it. He could neither fortify it nor render it firmer. Such as the plug was, it must remain, and, fatally, all his effort having come to an end. The sea had, at its discretion, that hasty apparatus applied to the leak. How would that inert thing behave? It was now it which was combating. It was no longer Gilliatt. It was that rag. It was no longer that mind. The swelling of the waves was sufficient to reopen the fracture. More or less pressure. The whole question lay there. All was going to be solved by a blind struggle between two mechanical quantities. Gilliatt could henceforth neither aid the auxiliary nor stop the enemy. He was no longer anything but a spectator of his life or his death. That Gilead, who had been a providence, was at the supreme moment replaced by an inanimate resistance. None of the trials and errors which Gilliatt had undergone approached this one. On arriving at the Duvara Reef, he had beheld himself surrounded and seized, as it were, by solitude. This solitude did more than environ, it enveloped him. A thousand menaces had shaken their fists at him simultaneously. The wind was there, ready to blow. The sea was there, ready to roar. Impossible to stop that mouth, the wind. Impossible to deprive of its teeth, that monster, the sea. Yet he had struggled. A man he had contended hand to hand with the ocean. He had wrestled with the tempest. He had held his own against still other anxieties and necessities. He had become familiar with all manner of distress. Without tools, he had been obliged to perform great works. Without aid, to move burdens. Without science, to solve problems. Without provisions, to eat and drink. Without bed or roof, to sleep. On that reef, a tragic rack, he had been put to the question in turn by the diverse torturing fatalities of nature. A mother, when it seems good to her, an executioner when she chooses. He had conquered isolation, conquered hunger, conquered thirst, conquered cold, conquered fever, conquered work, conquered sleep. He had encountered objects in coalition to bar his passage. After privation, the elements. After the sea, the tempest. After the tempest, the octopus. After the monster, the specter melancholy final irony in that reef whence Gilliatt had reckoned on emerging in triumph clubin dead came to gaze upon him with a mocking laugh the sneer of the specter was justified Gilliatt beheld himself lost Gilliatt beheld himself as dead as clubin winter famine fatigue the wreck to dismember the engine to trent's ship THE BLOWS OF THE EQUINOX, THE WIND, THE THUNDER, THE OCTOPUS, ALL THESE WERE NOTHING AS COMPARED TO THE LEAK. AGAINST THE COLD, ONE CAN USE, AND Gilead HAD USED, FIRE. AGAINST HUNGER, THE SHELLFISH FROM THE ROCKS. AGAINST THIRST, RAIN. AGAINST THE DIFFICULTIES OF SALVAGE, INDUSTRY AND ENERGY. AGAINST THE SEA AND THE STORM, THE BREAKWATER. AGAINST THE OCTOPUS, HIS KNIFE against a leak? Nothing. The hurricane left him this sinister farewell, a last reprisal, a traitorous thrust, the underhand attack of the conquered on the conqueror. The tempest in its flight shot this arrow to the rear. Defeats turned about and dealt a blow. It was the underhand stab of the abyss. One can combat with a tempest, but How combat a leaking? If the plug yielded, if the leak opened again, nothing could prevent the boat from sinking. It was the ligature on the artery unloosened, and the paunch once at the bottom of the water with that heavy load, the engine, there would be no means of raising it. This heroic effort of two titanic months was ending in annihilation. To begin anew was impossible. Gilead had no longer either forge or materials. Perhaps at daybreak he would behold his whole work sink slowly and irremediably into the gulf. It is a frightful thing to feel somber force beneath one. The gulf drew him to itself. His boat submerged, nothing would be left to him but to die of cold and hunger, as that other had done, the shipwrecked sailor of the man-rock. For two long months the intelligences and providences, which are in the invisible, had been witnesses of this. On the one hand the expanse, the waves, the winds, the lightnings, the meteors, on the other a man, on the one side the sea, on the other a soul, on the one side the infinite, on the other an atom, and there had been a battle and behold, perhaps this marvel had come to naught. Thus ended in impotence this unprecedented deed of heroism, thus ended in despair this formidable combat, the struggle of nothing against everything, this Iliad of one. Gilead gazed into space in despair. He had no longer even a garment. He was naked in the presence of immensity. Then, in the despondency of all that unknown vastness, no longer knowing what was wanted of him, confronting the gloom, in the presence of that impenetrable obscurity, in the uproar of the waters, the billows, the waves, the surges, the foams, the squalls, beneath the clouds, beneath the gusts, beneath the vast, scattered force, beneath that mysterious firmament of wings, of stars, of tombs, Beneath the possible meaning mingled with vast things, having around him and beneath him the ocean, and above him the constellations, beneath the unfathomable, he gave way. He renounced all. He flung himself flat upon his back on the rock, with his face to the stars, vanquished, and clasping his hands before the terrible profundity, he cried to the infinite, mercy. Hurled to earth by immensity, he prayed to it. He was there alone in that darkness on that rock, in the midst of that sea, overcome by exhaustion, resembling a man who has been struck by lightning naked as a gladiator in the circus, only, instead of the arena, having the abyss, instead of wild beasts, shadows, instead of the eyes of the populace, The gaze of the unknown. Instead of Vestals, stars. Instead of Caesar, God. It seemed to him that he felt himself dissolving in cold, fatigue, weakness, in prayer, in the gloom, and his eyes closed. End of chapter 6 De profundis ad altum